0: Welcome to the New Zealand Initiative podcast. I'm Dr. Eric Crampton, Chief Economist with the Initiative. And with me today is Graham Jarvis with Medicines New Zealand, who's going to be talking us through some of the IP issues and vaccines. Something that's been annoying me a little bit recently it's incredibly important that enough vaccines get manufactured in a hurry to be able to get the third world and the developed world vaccinated so that we don't have new variants emerging in places that have low rates of vaccination and then defeating the vaccines that are already out there getting that fixed in a hurry really really matters it seems to be worth spending an awful lot of money on we've heard a lot of uh, proposed solutions more recently around relaxing ip as though that might somehow solve the issue graham knows a lot an awful lot more than i do about what's actually going on in some of these processes so i'd love to have a chat about well how is this all working where did it start
1: well look thanks very much eric and i think let's you know, I mean, it's a bit shameless self-promotion, obviously, from the Industry Association for the vaccines and, and medicine suppliers. But look, I think let's take a bow as a world and what's actually been achieved, because you've essentially had vaccines manufactured in record times. Now, I've seen a lot of the commentary around that. The reason for that is because all of these technologies, which are rocket science, this is, we're not talking about beer brewing here, um, there's been about 10 years of R&D in these technology platforms like the mRNA platform to get it to the stage. The fact that we've got the vaccines out so quickly is a testament to that, as well as being able to collaborate with governments around you know, improving the regulatory approvals process as well to sort of fast track that. But maintaining safety for the patients who are taking it, which is the world, As well as the efficacy so that they actually really do work and and protect against COVID-19. So I mean I think that's the first thing. Um, The other thing to note is what's actually at, at play here, what the risk actually is, which is really that at the moment we're looking at by the end of this year 10 billion doses would be feasibly able to be manufactured and made available to the world. That's both developing world and developed world as well. Now according to the World Bank that's actually enough to achieve global equity. By at least in terms of distribution, and certainly to achieve herd immunity by March 2022. However, some of the proposals now around the IP waiver may create a bit of a barrier to that. And so we are quite concerned as, a, as an industry that this is actually not the right solution.
0: So before we get into that, maybe talk us through a little bit what the barriers have seemed to be in scaling up production. It looks like everybody's working pretty hard to try and get as much vaccine out the door as quickly as possible. What's all involved in it? So... There, I understand that there are licensing arrangements that can expand supply from uh, a- after someone has developed a vaccine they can license its manufacturer to other potential manufacturers if they can sort that out but there seem to be a few bottlenecks in the process so what seem to be the binding constraints?
1: Well let's just go yeah, it's a really good question let's go through the manufacturing process itself because I think that actually helps dictate the answer to your question in some respects. As I said, this is not rocket science, it's beyond rocket science almost in some respects. Using an example of an mRNA vaccine, so there are over 200 raw ingredients for that, and for in fact one of the vaccines to source it, it's on, those ingredients come from 19 different countries in over 18 different, 80 different manufacturing sites. That's just for the raw ingredients, that's not the vaccine itself. So the supply chain is incredibly complicated and the sourcing of those raw ingredients is particularly an issue. And, and already we've, we've seen there are some issues now with the existing manufacturing capacity in terms of sourcing some of these raw ingredients. And, and silly things you would think like plastic bags for the biofermenters are now in short supply. So suddenly opening it all up for everyone to sort of get access to it, it would create more supply chain constraints, which is not ideal. So that's just the raw ingredient supply. And, and it is quite complicated, and it's got to be a high-quality product because we're putting these vaccines into healthy human beings for the most part. Um, so that's the first issue. Then when you are manufacturing these products, as I said, it's beyond rocket science. It is highly complicated. So in a, a manufacturing facility, you have to not only make sure that you are doing all the quality assessment and the quality control. So there are some 70 to 80 quality assessment and quality quality control steps at any stage if you fail one of those that vaccine batch is you have to get rid of it you know you can't actually use that in in a human population so you have to dispose of it and then there's actually also when you're looking at the manufacturing facilities themselves you've got to go through the necessary regulatory compliance to get them certified to being up to good manufacturing practice standards so the cgmp as we call it You know, reports I've seen from the, you know, the World Bank and the WHO, just to give you an idea for these sort of sites, you're looking at a small-scale manufacturing site which may be able to produce 50 million doses. It's going to cost about 100 million US dollars to, to build that facility. So this is not chump change. It's very complicated materials. It's very complicated manufacturing, and the technology behind it is is pretty out of this world.
0: I've heard some discussion about um, export restrictions on some of the raw materials having been important. The United States, for example, put in legislation making it hard to export some of things like bioreactor bags if manufacturers in the US are having a bit of a hard time with their own supply chains. How substantial have those been in constraining manufacturing in other countries?
1: Quite substantial and that's why we as an industry globally are saying you know there are other solutions to this and it is around getting rid of some of the trade barriers that are currently in place such as even being able to export some of these vaccines as well as the ingredients and some of the materials needed so I think that's one of the potential solutions that needs to be looked at by the the WTO the World Trade Organization as well as the World Customs Organization as well we've got to get better free flow of these materials of the ingredients and the actual vaccines as well
0: I think that very early on in all of this, uh, New Zealand had been part of a multilateral agreement against trade restrictions on the export of medical equipment or bits that are necessary. I think we'd done that in, in, in league with Singapore and a few others. Has that then fallen through or just important places like the U.S. never really liked the idea? Yeah, I think
1: it's still what we'd refer to diplomatically as a work in progress. But I, And I think it's something that we really do need to look at as a potential solution. So, I mean, you know, even the fact that there are tariffs on some of the ingredients and, and actually the vaccines. So, I mean, we're in a pandemic, people. So let's actually say for the world's population's health, we need to be thinking globally about releasing some of these these tariff barriers and, and certainly looking at improving the customs regulation as well to allow things to f- to flow more easily, to get better facilitation, because you want to get these vaccines to the people that need them, which is the world
0: maybe walk us through a little bit more on how licensing arrangements work on these things because I think people might underappreciate some of these. It isn't that there's just some big plant in the U.S. that's manufacturing everything. If I have understood things correctly, AstraZeneca has licensed its tech uh, to India or to plants in India, to Brazil, Mexico, Argentina, China, South Africa. Johnson & Johnson has licensed to Spain, South Africa, France. Sputnik is licensed. Sinopharm is licensed. Novavax, they've got licenses. C's out there too what happens when one of these developers tries to come to an agreement with a manufacturer in another country about manufacturing the vaccine how complicated is that process in getting the tech into a new plant everything's complicated around these vaccines
1: and i think the critical thing to understand is that globally you know we've we've now got over 275 manufacturing partnerships going on just for these existing vaccines and remember these over 200 in development but you know the top 10 let's say so particularly the top four or five that you've just mentioned and a few others I mean these have a number of manufacturing partnerships already in place and what the companies do is to, to, to look at the license arrangement or a manufacturing partnership they look at the capability so you've it, it's a highly as I said it's beyond rocket science you've got to look at the capacity and the capability of the potential manufacturing side um, and say have they got the staff? Have they actually got the equipment to do this and will it produce a product that's going to meet the specifications that will allow the regulator to tick off and say yes, the quality is assured, the safety is assured and the efficacy is the same as you know a batch that may have been made by by the company that actually developed it. So it's almost like an agreement to actually and, and so the companies have scoured the world to find the man, the manufacturers who are actually able to do this. In a re- relatively rapid time frame, obviously, because we're trying to get the pandemic vaccines out there as soon as possible. So they have done quite a good job at the moment to actually get all of these agreements in place. And you've mentioned AstraZeneca. I mean, that's got over, I think, forty-five now partnerships just for its vaccine, not just in India but in other countries as well. You know, and, and the other thing I would say, and it is a plug for the industry, but those. Big companies such as Sanofi, who are experts in vaccine development, and unfortunately one of their vaccine candidates fell over. Rather than just sitting back and going, ugh, they actually said, okay, well, okay, Pfizer, okay, Jensen, you know, we'll actually, we've got capacity, we'll, we'll manufacture in our sites. So for the RNA vaccines, they've got the capability. And these are not small companies in terms of their ability to manufacture large, large batches of doses. So they are collaborating. It's not just a competition, it's not a race. They are truly collaborating to actually get as many vaccines out there at, at a relatively low price. And we can probably talk about that as well because it's one of the bugbears I've got with some of the commentators around all price, price, price and profit. But actually they are working collaboratively to get the vaccines, different types of vaccines, different technology platforms out to the world's population
0: I have a really easy time imagining horror stories that might emerge under sort of compulsory licensing arrangements so if government said all right the patents are now gone and the companies are forced to go in and try and do the tech, tech transfer to bring other plants up to speed there are so many ways i can imagine that going wrong Has has this sort of thing ever happened before and what happened did it pan out well
1: Yes, it has happened before, and no, it didn't pan out very well. So, in one case, um, I believe in South South America, in an unnamed country, um, but they took a compulsory license on a product uh, despite having had conversations with the company in terms of you know price point and everything else. And, 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 the, and the companies do get involved in those negotiations, and prices vary across the world. So, you know, a lot lower in, in developing nations. I want to make that very clear. So they took a compulsory license and spent two years trying to manufacture the product, uh, made a very inferior product, potentially risking people's lives that were going to take the medicine. Uh, threw in the white towel at the end and basically said, um, "Okay, would the company actually come in and help us with the technology transfer and and actually partner, so collaborate on a, on a partnership?" And that's what ended up happening actually happening and the company of course said yes well we want to do that because you know your population needs the medicine so let's, let's do that in another case it, it was a exactly the same sort of experience it, it was not a simple technology it wasn't a simple molecule to make and they ended up having to um, Basically shut down the manufacturing facilities. I understand it, and just ended up getting a straight um, contractual relationship with the company, and said, look, that, that was too hard. I think we've learned a little bit from that. We've sort of burnt a few bridges there. But you know, would you would you be able to sort of come back and we'll have a nice supply um, arrangement with you, and we'll, we'll, we'll buy and we'll import the medicine. So it doesn't. It's not simple stuff. This is rocket science and beyond. Uh, and and to say we can just manufacture it easily in an existing facility is not always the case or we can manufacture our own in a green fields a new facility is not always the case there's a lot of tech transfer in a lot of these modern medicines including vaccines and sometimes these compulsory licensing things just are disasters and no one wants to do that I think globally you know our industry wants to actually have it as a a collaborative licensing arrangement rather than a, a forced a licensing arrangement and that's exactly what they've been doing with the COVID vaccines is, is, is working in a collaborative manner to get the licensing arrangements done.
0: So what makes this inherently more complicated than sort of generic pharmaceuticals? Because I guess people are kind of used to the idea that, well, a drug comes off patent and then suddenly somebody in India is just synthesizing the chemical compound and putting out millions of pills at 50 cents a pill rather than the IP version that might have been 50 bucks before. So what makes the vaccines a bit more complicated than that? So the
1: simplest way of looking at this is a a bit like um, what is a generic and what is a, you know, and what is a biosimilar so, and what is a biologic and what is a, a simple molecule let's, let's start with the simple things generics like paracetamol and other things like that are simple, uh, simple molecules really small molecules easy for uh, you to chemically synthesise very few manufacturing steps and it's a bit like a carrot a biologic medicine, such as a vaccine, is very complicated, and often often it's the process that's where all the know-how and the tech transfer comes through. Because it's 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 a bit like brewing a beer, only it's a bit like having a secret ingredient carrot soup. So I've got my carrot, which is my generic, but a biologic is my carrot soup. My carrot soup, Eric, is going to be different to yours. It's going to be heavily complicated because I've got all sorts of secret ingredients I put into it to make it better than you know everything else, and I've spent years affecting this you know particular product. so it is quite different, it's quite complicated, and if I don't make it right, I can really you know make disgusting carrot soup. So it's it's not that simple to actually just then go ahead and get a generic version of it. And so these biosimilars which are similar but not identical to so that's the difference between a generic and, a, and an innovative small molecule, they are absolutely identical. Biosimilars are not because I might make my soup slightly differently to you. So you, even then with biosimilars, you're having to do clinical trials, whereas for generic medicines, you don't do clinical trials, okay, because it's identical to the existing product. So they are it's a step up in terms of the complication and the complexity for the manufacturer, and it's, it's not for the faint-hearted, because, because of that complexity, you know, there are risks if you get the manufacturing wrong or any of the production processes wrong. And so while some of the world's largest vaccine manufacturers are based in India, that's great, but they are themselves working very closely. And most of the companies actually that have got these innovative products, such as AstraZeneca, have actually gone through them to license the product. So it is quite different. We are talking about a level of complexity, which makes it vastly different to a a generic medicine.
0: One of the analogies that I've kind of liked is that you can buy the, there's a famous restaurant in the US called the French Laundry. You can buy the French Laundry's cookbook, right? It tells you all the ingredients for all of their dishes. But I'm going to guess that most people who buy that cookbook, their kitchen isn't going to be Michelin-rated immediately, right? It's a little bit more complicated than that. And when the famous restaurants start opening up branches in other cities, they send their chefs out to make sure that everything's working right, that the lines are set up in the same way that the mothership restaurant had theirs set up, because the soup is always going to be a little bit different. How much of the kinds of process that you're talking about wind up being in the patent filing, so when a medicines company sends in its patent application, it'll have sort of the main thing uh, just explaining what it is, then a whole pile of additional files that explain some of the process around it. How much additional sort of practice stuff is just impossible to encode?
1: A lot of it, in, in short, is the answer, and that's why it's the technology transfer that's really critical. I mean, you can pick up a patent and have a look at it, but essentially it's it's really just a, a piece of paper, you know, yeah. and that's that's our point. That is not going to help you manufacture a vaccine at a suitable standard. That's going to be both safe and effective for the for the population. So it is around the technology transfer. I mean, the analogy is, and that's actually what the industry is saying, help break down some of the barriers, is actually allow for the technology transfer to go on, but re- recognising where the technology transfer is actually not going to help. So there might be some places, you know, some countries that think they've got. You know, manufacturing capacity. You may send someone over for some tech transfer and they'll go, well, look, realistically, this is going to take years to get this facility up to spec to actually manufacture at a standard that would be suitable for the regulators to sign off and that people would be actually happy to, to, you know, put, put the vaccine that's been manufactured into someone else's arm. So there is that real quality concern that you would have and that's why the tech transfer will be quite important and that's what's going on now already i mean there's tech transfer going on in these existing manufacturing relationships as well so it's that that is a really good analogy eric that you've given
0: that's one of the things that's then worried me in some of the talk about just waiving or voiding patents or suspending trips for the duration of uh, covid for these vaccines I'm imagining that when the developer of a vaccine and the original manufacturer of it go out to make a licensing arrangement with another company, they're doing a lot of due diligence to make sure that all the lines are working and that you're not going to wind up with bad batches. Some of the discussion on waiving patents, they kind of hand wave then about what the tech transfer step that might come afterwards, saying, well, the governments would have to force that somehow. I have a hard time seeing how you could really do that though, because in a normal licensing arrangement, the developer would be able to look at a plant and say, well, this will, we can actually get this one up to spec, or no, this would take years and we're going to get bad batches, let's just leave this one off. How the heck would a government who has told a vaccine manufacturer that you must waive your patent and go in and teach this company how to manufacture your product? How could a government tell the difference between a manufacturer that's giving raising legitimate concerns about processes that are going to fail in this instance and one that just is trying to protect its IP? Yeah, that's a $64
1: million question, isn't it? But I mean, I I would go back to the initial statement I made that actually I don't really see a need for governments to even be forcing people to do that. I mean, we are looking at if everything goes smoothly and there's no interruptions from the sort of uh, issue that we're currently looking at at the moment uh, that's been discussed over the IP wave. I mean, 10 billion doses. And look, it's not me saying it, it's the World Bank that's saying that we will get to equity and that potentially we might actually get to worldwide herd immunity by March 2022, if we allow what's currently going on to, to, to continue to go on, rather than interfering it. So it's kind of, in some ways, I'm getting a bit exasperated, Eric, because it's almost like humankind is trying to, you know, snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. I mean, we, we've got these vaccines. We, we, we're looking at the capacity. The capacity has been up significantly. There's a lot of collaboration, a lot of partnerships globally already. So now we've got some real issues that we think need to be dealt with, which is around making sure that the supply of the ingredients and any tech transfer that's going to go on. Issues over tariffs as well. I mean, for goodness sake, you shouldn't be having tariffs on raw ingredients at this stage when we're in a a pandemic. And yet they exist as, as with the actual vaccines. And I actually think there is a question to be asked of a lot of the developed nations, such as the UK, the USA, Europe and ourselves. I mean, we have actually got on order, you know, enough vaccine for three times our population. So we should be giving it to COVAX and other facilities. And I understand, you know, the New Zealand government, good on it is talking to Samoa about some of our additional stock to give to them. So there's a role for governments, but I don't think it's around doing IP waivers. That's that's not going to solve the problem. And that's too low hanging fruit, to be honest. We've got to look at the other issues and, and, and look at solving those.
0: Uh, absolutely. It's only governments that can waive tariffs or get rid of those and some some of the regulatory blockages that they put in place. I've wondered what other kinds of things first world governments might be able to do to try and speed up access for the third world. And the one that immediately comes to mind is just spending 20 or 30 billion dollars and buying a whole pile more vaccines, throwing, throwing a pile of money at it paying for the capacity to develop more to d- deliver more vaccines. And once this capacity is then in place, it can just keep producing more vaccines. Because so often the framing has been, well, if New Zealand spends more money on it, it's just taking vaccine away from places that might need it more. If instead you're contracting for the capacity to keep producing more, well, everybody gets more. How realistic are some of these options of just Spending more to try and get more. I've tended to see these as providing the incentives to figure out ways around some of these supply bottlenecks because if you're paying more money per dose, then you've got more to play with in trying to find innovative ways around the issues.
1: Look, I mean, I I think there are a lot of potential solutions. I mean, I think the issue is the time frame that you're actually looking at, Eric. I mean, I will give, you know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, you know, a lot of kudos here. Pretty early on, they spotted the same issue that the industry saw, which is it's about the capacity. So, I mean, way back you know, in March, April last year, I was being interviewed for radio shows and you know, by the media about, well, what do you think what's going to happen? And I said, well, I think we'll have maybe a vaccine by maybe March, you know, 2021, if we're lucky. And we will have one. But I said, my concern is that it, it's the capacity of manufacture because we don't know which technology platform it's going to be for. Um, we, we see this with flu every year. That you know the the capacity for mass uh, manufacture isn't isn't optimal. If the if the you know there was a pandemic, a flu pandemic. So I mean there were issues over the manufacturing capacity, and and currently a lot of the capacity for the companies out, you know outside of COVID nineteen. You know a lot of the facilities were running twenty four seven. So there was not a lot of capacity. Now I would love, and I'm sure the industry would, rather than you know, them alone having to do this um, investment, which is significant, you're looking at about half a billion dollars at least for a decent sized manufacturing facility, um, particularly in a pandemic sort of stock level, that's what you'd be saying, to actually say, well, let's co invest, you know, and, and these benefits, I mean, you as an economist will know tech transfer is great because you're going to end up with a highly skilled workforce working in a vaccine manufacturing facility, you know, I'm not saying you could, maybe in New Zealand, who knows. So there are a lot of tangible benefits and, and maybe co-investing. And, and the US did do this um, with its Operation Warp Speed. I think it looked at co-investing, helping with some of the manufacturing capacity for some of the leading candidates as well. So I think that's actually a solution. It's money where the mouth is, but I think there are still tangible economic benefits. And, and unfortunately to, to your listeners, I don't think COVID-19 is going away. So I think there will be a need for the the vaccine manufacturing capacity to still be there post 2021-22. I mean, this will be with us. And so, you know, additional manufacturing sites would be a good thing.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of a general purpose technology too. As I understand it, the mRNA vaccines, if you can manufacture those, there's all kinds of other new interesting things coming in on mRNA tech. Last month, we saw the announcement of a malaria vaccine using mRNA techniques presumably a plant that can make mRNA COVID vaccine would be able to make mRNA malaria vaccines or um, who knows, maybe cancer vaccines down the track, right? I've seen some proposals from Australian economists around government investment there and developing some manufacturing capacity in Oz. Were that ever to happen, it would seem like a great idea for New Zealand to jump in sort of pro rata share by population for a share in the capacity of the plant.
1: Well, that's right. And, that, and that's exactly what the Australian government actually did. So um, CSL, um, which which is a pretty big vaccine manufacturer globally, actually, as well, and does, does a lot of the flu vaccines. I mean, the Australian government invested in there to actually help them get one of the the, the AstraZeneca vaccine, which, which, despite what you read in the newspapers, I mean, it is highly effective. Just look at the UK. It's been very successful <laughs> in terms of... And, and it certainly protects people from um, serious COVID and the serious COVID rather than the mild symptomatic one which is you know 80% the 20% of cases I think the efficacy for protection uh, is about 95 to 96% so it's very high for the even the AstraZeneca vaccine which we hear a lot about they put investment in they worked with CSL and they worked with AstraZeneca in a collaborative manner to get the technology transfer done I understand is sort of breaking news, and you may have picked this up, that there was some talk in the Australian budget overnight about an mRNA capacity as well. And I think one of the states is also looking at that. So they're really rolling up their sleeves to say, exactly to your point, looking long term, probably isn't going to go away COVID-19, but the platform, the technology platform itself is bespoke, but we can change it for different targets, different illnesses. And, and isn't that a great thing? And it's about, you know, high tech, a high tech sector, which is exciting.
0: This is all really encouraging. It looks like there are ways to get this problem solved. It's just frustrating that political discussion has been around sort of old style debates about that I people seem to have gone back to the arguments that they were having five years ago about the role of profit in healthcare, about the role of intellectual property, whether patents are a good idea or a bad idea. They've gone back into those old frames and are missing what is actually bottlenecking supply right now and keeping us from getting the world vaccinated in a hurry so i'm sure that it's even more frustrating for you than it is for me and i hope that our listeners will have gotten some uh, additional appreciation of what's actually going on out there so thank you so much graham this has been really enlightening for me and i hope for others as well no thank you And, and my my
1: parting sort of comment would be you know collaboration is the key here not only between governments, but also with the the industry. And and through collaboration, we've already seen what has been achieved in terms of getting these vaccines out in in under a year to the world. And I I know everyone wants to move forward, but just understanding that normally you're looking at 10 or so years for, for vaccines to actually make it through a pipeline, but through collaboration, look at what has been achieved. And I think let's collaborate on coming up with some of the solutions to actually making sure that we get equitable vaccine um, access to the developing world as well and it's it's getting there but we've got to actually look at some of the difficult to answer questions and solve those not looking at the low-hanging fruit as I call it around IP and saying well we'll waive that and everything's going to be okay no it's not for the, the the topics we've talked about are the ones that actually need to be dealt with Eric and I'm hoping through collaboration and common sense we will actually get there.
0: Graham thank you so much. Thank you.